0: Oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call! Brown the steal. Jalen. Lowdown's candles out! Gets it, head to Tatum. Tatum off the bounce. To
1: the basket! Come on, refs. Get with the game here. What up, Celtics fans? It's your boy Adam Taylor, joined by my co-host Tim Shields. And today we're joined by Mike Prader. I did have a really good intro um, when I thought his surname was Prada. It was going to be Prada by name, created by nature, but no, it didn't work. And that intro was wrong anyway. Mike just released an article about two days ago on why the Celtics are actually contenders. Mike, my man, thanks for joining us. How you doing? I'm good. I'm sorry to disappoint with my last name. <laughs> You're not the first one who's been disappointed. It's okay, it's okay. I even messed the intro up just anyway because it was meant to be Prada by name, creator by... Yeah, it's gone, it's gone. You can just... <laughs> <laughs> it's one well, of those. So you could have
0: just avoided having to say it and nobody would ever know that you got around it. Yeah, but then <laughs> you... Everybody knows. Comedy value, oh, I don't mind, I'll put myself out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, speaking of putting myself out there, I I, I didn't realize that this sort of opinion is like, way out there but I guess it is
1: I'm assuming for non-Celtics fans this is like a blasphemous article that you've released (laughs) Celtics fans you've just repeated what we've been saying for probably the best part of four or five months at this point yeah I mean it's it's funny you say that because coming into the year I was actually
0: quite skeptical of the Celtics I thought Toronto was a much better team but it's played out a little bit differently than I expected although Toronto is technically a better team I think Boston is more equipped to win the title.
1: I feel like they've got far more pieces that fit together better than some of the other teams that are considered, air quotes, contenders. What have you been seeing from the Celtics that really made you think, do you know what, these guys can actually contend, they're going to be there or thereabouts.
0: I think, um, part of it is, you know, you start off with just the way they've played against good teams, the fundamentals they've had, the way they've kind of kept it moving, even when players have been out of the lineup. That's not so different from Toronto, but I think in the playoffs, one of the things that gives me a lot of hope for Boston is one, the rotations will shorten, which will kind of alleviate some of their rotation weaknesses. They're, they're pretty thin once you get down the bench. And the other is that you'll be, they'll be able to, use all of their shot creators and they've seen signs that they play well off each other in crunch time in addition to in regular time and I think that's really key. and then really the last piece for me was that the guy I was always sort of waiting on to see if he would take a leap forward is Jason Tatum you know I thought he's always a really nice player but I thought he was I've been pretty hard on him I've been pretty critical of His inability to get to the basket in the past, I think his core strength really isn't that great, and so he often does settle for jump shots. Even though at the beginning of the year he was doing more less dribbling and shooting more threes, I still didn't see a player that could get into the paint for tough hoops. And that's really changed over the last 15 games or so, maybe even longer depending on sort of how you look at it. And that's kind of what tipped me over the edge. Like once you got to the point where you could see a world where Tatum could get to the basket, draw fouls, finish his layups, which had been a weakness his entire career, then they start to be more of a serious team. And that, that was kind of the last straw that I needed to see because I liked kind of everything else I was seeing from the rest of the unit, from the, big guy, the best guys of the team. And then once Tatum has taken this leap forward, and I think it is a leap forward, I don't think it's just a shooting hot streak, that's really the last step for me.
2: And that makes sense too. I think once Tatum started to evolve into the player that we all hoped he would be, at least in terms of Boston fan perspective, he's kind of just been unstoppable. I was actually at that Clippers game, which was one of the most electric games I've been to by far uh, so far for me. But my big question is, is, in terms of the East beyond, of course, the obvious in Milwaukee, who do you worry about from a Boston Celtics perspective in terms of the playoffs? Like, who do you guys think is a bad matchup for the Celtics? Or who do Ooh, I yeah. think? I mean, I think it's
0: fairly clear you you wouldn't want to see the 76ers, even with as much drama as they're having. There are clear matchup disadvantages there. They have Embiid. You know, I, I, I'm i a fan of Daniel Tice, and I think Ennis Cantor has been very good this year, but that's clearly their most difficult matchup with Embiid. And then also the, the 76ers' ability to switch one through four on the perimeter is really a big challenge for a Boston team that kind of can hunt down the bad matchup in a lot of different ways. So I think that's the toughest matchup uh, for sure. And I think a Toronto series would be really fascinating. I You know, it'd be a really tight one. Um, but I like Boston against most other teams. I mean, Milwaukee obviously is the big dog and the favorite. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more. I, I feel like neither regular season game has given us a whole lot of clarity in that matchup. There was that one game that Boston won early in the year when Milwaukee was sort of still finding itself. And then there was that game where Milwaukee shot the lights out for two and a half quarters and then nearly blew the lead. Um, So I I think it's tough to see that matchup. But outside of Philly, I think Boston should feel pretty good about
1: going against anybody else. So one of the big worries that I have personally is teams like the Pacers and the Heat, where they're going to be coming into... A series with a chip on their shoulder. The Pacers worry me more just because I value Malcolm Brogdon quite highly, and then Victor Aladipo, Sabonis, and Miles Turner create quite a nice quartet for them. So that does worry me if they were to be in like the third seed, which is possible with the way Toronto are playing. If they did come across the Pacers, do you feel like there's enough tools in the in the bag for those? That that matchup to be favorable towards Boston. I think Boston's pretty clearly a better team.
0: You know, I, I think yeah, there's some ways that Indiana could give them trouble, but I mean, Boston beat Indiana fairly handily in the playoffs last year. I know all those games were tight, but Boston had all the answers, and I'm not. And Boston's a lot better, I think, than they were last year. And I'm not sure Indiana is significantly better. I, I guess they have more scoring options. Early on, Oladipo has not fit in particularly well yet. I mean, I think there's still time for him to do so, but I'm not sure that I, I think there may not be enough time for them to get Brogdon and Oladipo working together perfectly at the same time, while also having Turner and Sabonis working together properly at the same time. And while I think Indiana's defense is quite strong, again, Boston's really good at targeting a weak matchup and going at it, and I think there are some questions about how some of those Pacers players defend one-on-one in the playoffs, even if they've done a good job in the regular season. And, you know, really, I think the biggest advantage Indiana has is that that unit that they have with Sabonis playing the five and a bunch of bench players against Boston's lack of depth. But in the playoffs, I think that that advantage will go away. So, I I mean, it's right to be concerned about all these teams because they're all pretty good. But I I don't think that – I don't see Indiana winning four out of seven against Boston. And I really don't see Miami doing that either because I, I actually think Miami's a pretty good matchup for Boston because Miami's got some minus defenders that you can go at. I mean, Duncan Robinson, they attacked him ruthlessly the last time they played. Uh, he's a great shooter, but they need, but they can really go at him the same way they used to do with J.J. Redick when Phil he was on Philly. Um, and I think Boston's got a lot of options to stop Jimmy Butler. I think they can put a handle on
2: Adebayo. I think that's a good matchup for Boston. I think, again, the one that it would scare me is still Philly. I think there's reason to be scared of Philly in some ways, especially in the way that they matched up with them so far this season. I think Philly's the one team that's kind of had Boston's number, and they're not going to face off, I think, for the rest of the season. Now they've wrapped up the season series, and Philly took that 3-1. Outside of just the concern with Philly – you were talking about the shorting of the rotations. How many men do you think that's going to be? Do you think it's going to be like an eight-man rotation or a nine-man rotation? And who do you think is going to be the key rotation pieces coming off the bench?
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got, what, the
2: five starters.
0: Um, assuming they're all healthy. Smart is obviously going to play a ton. He's essentially the sixth starter. And then canner is going to be there, play some minutes as sort of the foil to Tice. And I think you really are looking at one more guy that's going to be a part of that rotation. I think... Right off the bat, it'll probably be Brad Wanaker, and he's been a key part of the rotation so far. And then it's just sort of can they get something out of one other guy every so often. I know Grant Williams has played a lot recently. I would be worried about him in a playoff series where they're just going to sh- dare him to shoot. Um, so that might be a concern. But they have a few other guys that if one of them pops in a given game, you put them in the rotation. But, I, I mean, I think Boston's best chance is if they tighten that thing up to really eight players. Um and then they use some of their shot creators to sort of buttress up some of these bench units.
2: I think that's the one thing that plays a Boston's favor by having, you know, wings that you can play in multiple lineups. You can still switch Hayward over to your bench unit with Marcus Smart, or you can have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Hayward be out there at the same time while you let Kemba get some rest on the bench. So the fact that they're able to stagger all these guys helps mask some of the... Their inefficiencies with their bench unit too, especially in the so, playoffs, you get more rest. Yeah, yeah and that's that's gonna be big. Yeah, it's a big help for them. I think
0: I think you look at a team like Toronto. Toronto is a terrific team, and they have just so many different options, you know. But if everybody is healthy and you've got the days off, I think that advantage will be mitigated. That's really Boston's best shot against Milwaukee as well. You know, is that Milwaukee's just got so many different guys that they can play, but they have to pick five of them to play most of the minutes.
2: And I think with Boston, too, I don't, like you were saying before, it, it, it took a little bit of a turning point in the season for the Celtics kind of to be even in this conversation. Um, and it was brave of you to put it in the article, too, but I don't think anyone expected Ennis Canner and Daniel Tice to be able to do what they're doing right now, right? It, I think they've just been a perfect fit for what they've needed, especially when you consider the cost. Yeah, I guess it,
0: it depends on sort of what. In some ways it we cannot really judge those guys until the playoffs because anyone who was saying that, oh, I'm not sure if the Celtics have enough up front wasn't really talking about how they would get by in February, right? You know, and I, I think Tice has been a lot better than people than expected. I think Canner is kind of doing what Cannon does. You know, he's a good offensive rebounder, you use him in certain lineups, he kinda of gives slips into these spots in the zone and he's a problem in pick and roll. Um, that's no different than the candor that made the Western Conference final support from last year. With Tice, I think he's shown a little bit more game, skill game than he had. But I think he's always had some of these sort of skills that add up to something more, the screening, uh, the defensive uh, positioning and all that. Really the question is, will it, you will know, be find in May and June. And the way I look at it, I think that question is a little overstated outside of Philly. It's not like they're going – there is the matchup with the Greek freak and we need all these guys kind of flooding the rim. But Boston's made up for I, – I think one of the things that's, that's sort of an interesting macro trend in the NBA is this idea of how do you actually rim protect? How do you actually protect the paint? It's not necessarily – the tall guy who's blocking off the rim. You look at a team like Milwaukee, they've got tall guys, but they really collectively protect the paint, And it sort of reflects in their numbers. You look at, I mean, Houston's going small with their small ball stuff, but you look at Toronto in the way that they swarm and then close out. That's their way of protecting the paint. I'm not sure you really need this really super tall guy, even against the best rim, rim drivers. I mean, Boston's pretty big on the wings too. So I, I think that they'll be okay and they can I don't think their lack of like having that one towering rim protector or that they clearly don't need an interior scorer they've got plenty of scoring and I don't think that interior defender is like super significant when they can all collectively do it in the playoffs but time will tell maybe the playoffs really are a little bit different and maybe they get Philly and they really struggle with that matchup it's it's uh it's tough to say so you know I don't know who was supposed to be surprised by how Boston centers are playing they're kind of doing the job which is what I think most people thought would happen um, I'm a little surprised they miss Al Horford as little as they do but I think they've made up for that because they have more offensive talent around Al Horford you know we have a different Hayward this year we have a more egalitarian system than they had last year
1: and then another key point in the article which was actually one of the primary parts of the article I think it was where you put the most actual text and videos into it is the way Kemba Walker's operated and provided the Celtics with multiple different ways to attack the game mainly with his pick and roll play and then utilising the other guys such as Brown and Hayward as off-ball roll men in effect. How do you see that working in the playoffs because Kemba has always been a predominantly pick and roll sort of point guard and you're you've kind of really pinpointed that as one aspect in which really elevates the Celtics offense into this juggernaut of a team to try and defend. So I'm just yeah. keen to get your train of thought with that, because I agree completely, but it's always good to hear somebody else's opinion.
0: It'll be interesting in the playoffs because it's maybe not the most politically correct thing to say, but Kemba Walker's is short. He's small. And size matters, uh, so it'll be interesting to see if those traps that he gets on the pick and roll in the playoffs are more difficult to deal with. Um, he hasn't really been there; he's been there only a couple times in you know short, short first round series. He had, I think, one great playoff game against Miami years ago. Um, so, well, what's nice though is that one they are sort of running him around. I think if you look at like sort of his actual pick and roll statistics, he's running. Still quite a bit of it. He's almost running as much as Kyrie did, if not more. But there are different types of pick and rolls. There's sort of give the ball up, get it back type of stuff. There are these dribble handoffs on the move. There are these transition sequences. I think the hope would be that between all that moving around and the emergence of Tatum so that Campus doesn't have to basically be what he was for Team USA, where he was the primary scorer, that will mitigate some of the challenges of Kempis' height. Like, you know, be interesting to see how it plays out in the playoffs, but certainly in the regular season, that's sort of how it's worked, and I think it's been really effective at making life easier. Maybe not as much for Tatum because I think Tatum has has got a really has really developed his game, his off the dribble game. But certainly, I think for Brown and Hayward and Hayward, I think he, when they're in the game together, they those two guys can kind of attack off something that Kemba is creating with his movement uh, in a way that I think in theory would have worked with Kyrie Irving, but didn't quite work in practice.
1: So Kemba's running just shy of 50% of his entire offensive possessions as a ball handler in the pick and roll. Synergy has him at 48.7% to be precise. I've just pulled that up. The one thing Guy wrote about recently, which kind of piggybacks off this discussion anyway, is how they're using guys such as, Brown, Hayward and predominantly Daniel Tice in slip screens. So they'll be set. Kemba will be doing like a, a hard stagger and then he'll divert and run guys straight into the screen at which point the screener will slip and get that easy lane to the basket. And that's been cash all year. I don't know whether they'll be able to maintain that once teams are actually scheming for them and they're in game three of a, of a series. But those options that he is giving them and the amount of ball handling on the team that can bail Kemba out if he does get trapped does give them some certainly more offensive weapons. The only thing that does worry me is the Celtics this year and the same as last year have been prone that when they're down, they just start jacking up threes to try and get back in the game. That is the only negative thing that worries me. They do find themselves down early. That it's going to be the Marcus Smart show, jacking from deep, or it's going to be just try and shoot yourself back in instead of, as Brad likes to put it, hitting singles. Does that do you? Does that concern you at all?
0: I mean, I think the the three point shooting is sort of like, a, like the barometer of the whole team. I mean, at the beginning of the season, I remember thinking after I was watching them, and you know, I think Celtics fans weren't too thrilled with the way I put it, but it felt like they they would just have their offense would just sort of create all these off the dribble threes. They would just not have a lot of drives to the basket regardless. It's just you look at the skill set of the players and it would just sort of be like some nights they hit them, some nights they don't. And it would be very inconsistent. And I think you're saying also that would happen within a game. And I think that's true. You know, I think back to the season opener against Philly. And I just remember thinking to myself like, man, if this is all that boss is creating, it's just like, High screen Kemba Walker pull up three. Like why? That's just Kyrie Irving ball times four. But I don't think it's really played out that way in large part because Kemba, even though he is a high pick and roll player, there's a lot less of like kind of he's getting the ball and everybody's standing and watching him and he's kind of coming off even like those really high screens. They do a really good job. Of, I mean, the slip screen stuff you talk about is sort of the effect I think of Walker being able to kind of catch the ball, give it up, and get it back on the move. So he's already a step ahead of the defender, so that slip will then be open. The it will be interesting to see how they script that in the playoff series where you're able to hold and clutch and grab a little bit more. Um, and that's I think a, you're right. That's going to be an interesting challenge. And But to some degree, the three-point shot is just sort of the bug and the feature of the team. That's why I think it's really important that Tatum is starting to get to the free throw line, because that's the obvious antidote to that stuff. You can run around and shoot off the dribble threes when they're open after you've gotten the step. But if you can do that and catch the ball and drive and finish, that gives you another dimension. That's where Tatum, I think, is his emergence is really important to maintain.
2: Speaking of other dimensions, too, with Robert Williams slated to come back soon. What kind of impact do you expect from him? I know he's missed a lot of time, but I feel like he has a different kind of dimension to this team in terms of how they run defensively, and he's a big that can go up and down the floor. I know he's got a lot of mental mistakes just because he is a younger player, but I, I feel like he's coming back with the right attitude. I mean, I guess
0: in theory, he's the Bergman Anderson, JaVale McGee-style Vertical spacer, right? That's kind of the idea. Whereas when he's running a pick and roll, Daniel tice can slip into the short roll area, and maybe he can come sometimes make a play in a four and a three situation, which he's done well in the regular season, and we'll see in the playoffs. But Williams, when he slips, I mean, that's a lob. That's vertical. That's what Eric spolster loves to call vertical spacing. That's the theory. You know, he's never really done it over an extended stretch, so it's hard to say how what the expectations are and whether you're gonna get that from him. But you look at some of these examples of like I mentioned, you know, Birdman and Javel with the Warriors, I mean, these are not guys that played every game significantly. These are not guys that got consistent minutes in the playoffs, but these are players that had moments. You know, we talk a little bit about the depth of the team and you really kinda of need that one guy from deep in the rotation to give you a moment. You know, Robert Williams is one of those players that can do that. I mean, outside of that I, I I don't think it's, like, necessarily worth expecting him to nail down an, an everyday rotation spot because his skill set sort of is a very specialized type of thing. I mean, Brandon Wright is another guy that Celtics had for a time that was this type of player. You know, it's just hard to know what it what it's going to be like because he's been out for so long and he has such little experience. Um, but there were definitely, I mean, I don't think going to. you would want to count on him much against Milwaukee. You know, but against a team like Toronto that really was the basket collectively that really sucks in, his dive ability might be really valuable.
1: The one part of the article that I really liked, and I was keen to make sure we touched on this. Just one? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, this was the one that stuck out to me just because of the way you worded the subheading and I liked it, was the chaos sequences. Yeah. And uh, I like the title. I like the way you described it. So when you're looking at these, air quotes, chaos sequences, and you've obviously pointed out that teams like Toronto are really good at handling and coming out on top, and Milwaukee are quite good too. How do you see Boston utilising that during the earliest playoff sequences? Because they do have these hustle guys that once the game does, as you really eloquently put it was chaotic and it does become a series of chaotic events. We could write a book about this and get a Netflix deal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Please, let's do it. A series um, of unfortunate chaotic events. That's it's, not it's a river. Fun,
0: You know, it's funny. Like I, this, I think is where the new modern NBA has kind of taken hold, and I don't think it's really gotten enough attention. Where, you know, you're a, are you a soccer fan? Are you guys soccer fans?
1: Uh, no, but I live in a country that's rife with them, so I'll get yeah. The- I like I Liverpool.
0: In- <laughs> you like Liverpool, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: you like the team that stole my favorite
0: team's favorite best players, okay? Oh, oh, Southampton. Um, but <laughs> anyway, in soccer, you know they have this phrase that's called right, "this is in this this is in the run of play" or "against the run of play," right? When you basically what it refers to is sort of the game is happening and it's in transition and it sort of separates out from dead ball sequences, right? Like, like free kicks or penalty kicks. Now, basketball is always, maybe 20 years ago, basketball was very much a dead ball type of sport. It was a very half-court oriented game. But one of the things that's really changed over the last two or three years, even more so than the three-point revolution, is really the speed revolution. So now, any time that you miss a shot, it's potential to for this early offense where you're not even really scripting what's going on. You're playing off feel. You're playing off instinct. You're playing off spacing and attack. And I think that it started with, I would say, it started with the Warriors. And it continued. I thought Toronto was just brilliant at this last year. When you missed shots, they made you pay, not necessarily in fast breaks only, but also in how those missed shots created floor balance sequences that they could take advantage of with really creative play that was not really scripted. And so to me now, I look at every team and I say, okay, what happens, how do you do on those sort of sequences where it goes from one end to the other? Because those are really important to maximize. And I think Boston, this is really where Jalen Brown, I mean, we, we've talked about smart just because of his ability to sort of create those sort of sequences on defense. But I think Jalen Brown is a significant, a really important key. Last year, I think they started to develop this element of his game but they've really kicked it up another level this year. When there's a defensive rebound transition, they're pitching it ahead to him, and he's making a play. They're not scripting it. He's making a play. He's, he's trying to get to the basket. He's sort of getting all the way there and then reverse pivoting and kind of finishing that way. So he basically takes all these sequences, and he turns them into like sort of what I vaguely call plus fours or plus fives because you're missing on one end, and he's scoring on the other end. So they become big momentum plays that build on each other. So I think any team has got to be good at that stuff. And Boston's best chance of being good, at that stuff, is Jalen Brown's development. And like I said in the piece, third in the league in fast break points per 100 possessions, at least as of the All-Star game, this is a guy that when you miss and you pitch the ball ahead to him, he can create something that gets not just him himself a shot and not just a fast break, But he can kind of spin this, this, this advantage and take advantage, this disadvantage situation for the opponent and take advantage of it. And I think it's really important when you get, I actually think these are more important in the playoffs than they used to be. So again, in that Toronto sort of just, this is their whole scoring stick. Like this is how they play. They, they don't really have Boston's ability to score in half court situations. I don't think they don't have the same creation, but they, they make up for it because they just, are so good in these chaos situations. And so if you're going to beat them or if you're going to beat any team, Milwaukee with Giannis is another example. If you miss, I mean, he's basically driving down your throat no matter what. So Jalen Brown, I think, is, on, is getting to that level in those situations. He's not the half-court player those guys are. But when he rebounds, when you rebound or you force a turnover and he's got the ball in the open floor, he's become so much better at generating a shot for himself or a teammate. And that's a big key, I think in these playoff sequences especially if you're trying to kind of create this 6-0 run 8-0 run 10-0 run that sort of gets the crowd
1: going and forces timeouts that are really important to winning playoff games so when you talk about toronto being really good at these chaos situations and then you link that to the way sucker is and the analogy you gave there you make me really blame nick nurse um and this is simply because the guy coached in my city uh, mm-hmm. probably 20 years ago now. I'm showing my age here.
0: Didn't he coach Masai Ujiri or he coached against Masai Ujiri?
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure. I know that there was a point in time where the British League had coaches that have actually gone on to be GMs and head coaches of teams elsewhere in the, around the league. Uh, Nick Nurse coached my city's team to two straight championships, I think it was, before he made the move back to, I think that's when he went to G League coaching after that. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely picked up some of the um, the soccer ideas from there. I'm blaming my country for Toronto's success, and I'm all against it. <laughs> so I can't, you're not a huge soccer fan, so I can't talk
0: about this, but if you remember like how Leicester City won the title, I, in I live.
1: Um, I live around thousands of soccer fans i remember leicester winning it was all that was in the news
0: yeah so you remember how they did it is that they basically played this low block they forced crosses and then they just beat you in transition they didn't actually create all that much themselves right they just create they just made you come to them and then they beat you when you came too far to them i think that's sort of how Toronto plays in a lot of ways. If you look at the way they defend, they they just they pack it in. They force a lot of three point attempts, and then they kill you on the break between those threes. There's a lot of similarities. And I think um, Austin has some of that too with Brown.
1: The soccer analogy that was used for how Leicester won was parking the bus and then breaking.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. I would not call it parking the bus because that sounds so pejorative, and I know soccer it isn't soccer, but that's the idea. Is basically. We don't have a lot of... We're going we're gonna to keep a narrow shape. You're going to cross to our titanic center backs who can't move, right? If, I, 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 this is how I read it. And then we're going to take our skill players and just beat you in on-man rushes. We're not going to have Riyad Mahrez try to break down your defense. We're going to do it. You're going to let you do it for
1: us, you know? Yeah, and then let Mahrez just sprint the entire length of the right, pitch and pass it Mahrez to Vardy.
0: And, and Vardy sprinting behind and all that. It's very similar to how Toronto, I think, generates its offense. And one of the advantages I think Boston has over Toronto is that Boston has some capability of doing that as well. But they also, I think, are more able to, in soccer parlance, break down a set defense or a low block. And we'll see if Toronto can. I think last year they could with Kawhi Leonard. I'm not sure they can this year.
1: Okay, so the last question we have for you before we wrap this up And I feel like this has been a great episode. So thank you very much. We'll say that now. Me too. Thank you. Is if you had to go over under, and I'm going to shoot some teams out here, uh, and then just over under on the Celtics coming out of that series. So we'll start nice and easy with Miami. Like
0: you're saying, like, sort of what are the chances Boston wins that series?
1: Yeah. So you could just say win or lose if it's easier. I think they would be pretty solidly.
0: 66 2 to 1, 3 to 1 favorites in that series, and then against Indiana, probably at least two, probably three to one, if not more. Against Philly, that would probably be closer to a toss up. I might even give Philly a 55 45 edge. Toronto, I probably 60 40, Boston, and then the big dogs, the Milwaukee Bucks. I think Boston would have maybe a 30-35 puncher's
1: chance. Maybe a little bit more. Um, And then should they get that puncher's chance and they pull a Deontay Wilder and end up in the final (laughs) against the Clippers? They played two really good games this year.
0: Two really interesting games, right? I mean, had the, the November game went to overtime, and then, of course, or I thought the game they played the other night was the best game I've seen this year. It's very hard to tell what the Clippers level is because Paul George has not played. Um, So I probably would still only give Boston about a 20, 25% chance, but the Clippers are a real interesting black box. And one of the things that is true about the Clippers, if they play Lou Williams down the stretch is Boston is going to go at him. That's what they did in that game. Uh, They went right at him and it helped that there was no Paul George. So, the, they were around one of their potentially great defenders. But that is a matchup. I think Boston is a pretty good matchup for the Clippers. Or the Clippers, there are ways that Boston could get, go at them. you know. And I, I'm not sure Tatum could win a shooting battle against Kawhi Leonard in the playoff series, but yeah, I guess 20-25%. Let's go with that.
1: And then against the worst team that could ever be classed as better than Boston the Lakers <laughs> well they're playing again soon right they're playing
0: Sunday Sunday yeah and Kemble Walker's injury though might might keep him out of that one
2: they're saying he's still possible for it but the fact that he's gonna get his knee drained is not great he also got a shot in it and on top of that he went past his minutes restriction thanks Nick Nurse <laughs> yeah Nick Nurse very cleverly very clever with that uh putting him in,
0: in the all star game. Yeah, that's a big concern. I mean, that's a lingering injury. That would make me worried. Um at full strength though, I think, I think boss I think it would be about a toss up. When you look at the net ratings, they're basically about the same. I mean I know the Lakers are have a much better record, but I mean you look at how they played against good teams and what their point differentials are, they're pretty
1: much the same. So I think it would be a toss up. From my personal opinion, Sunday is a glorious day because the game's on at 8.30 p.m. my time. Yes. That's so right. that is a glorious day. That's where I put my Celtics jersey on. I get beer and I get pretzels and I live like an American for two hours. Who is uh, <laughs> Who do you have on your Celtics jersey? It depends. I've got the throwback hardwood classic Bill Russell. I've got the Rondo and I've got the Tatum. So it depends which one I pull out the closet first. Probably probably not the Rondo, right? No, it's going to be the Russell. Like, <laughs> she, I usually lean towards Bill Russell. I like that hardwood classic. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, unless you want to sort of make a point about Rondo on the Lakers. Um, I don't like talking about it. I know it's happened. It's like when you see an ex-girlfriend in the street, right? Like, you know she's got that new dude, but you don't want to think about it because then you're like, well, I yeah. don't know where I was going with this. I understand. I get you. You can
0: take solace <laughs> in the fact that Rondo may be the best chance. Rondo as a sleeper agent may be the best chance to do around the Lakers. Working well now. so far
2: with Al.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I like that shade. That was good shade.
2: <laughs> thank you.
1: You're welcome. Very top form, top form. So Mike, thank you for joining us, man. It's been really fun. I've enjoyed this. Yeah, thanks Likewise. for having me. Yeah, thank I you. I am again. curious. Are you a Celtics fan?
0: No, I'm. I'm actually. I'm from DC, so I got my start running our Wizards site. Really? Oh, well, then Wizards. I take the praise not so lightly. Then thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big. I've been. I've watched. I think every Wizards game for the last 15 years.
1: Good for you. I saw, I caught the Wizards last year actually against the Clippers in LA. First yeah, I that's right. They were in London last year. That's right. Yeah, no, I, Las- I was in a, I was in Los Angeles when I saw them. Um, uh-huh. Before John Wall went down, but they were in London. But tickets here sell out instantly because for some reason, I and mean, this happens with the NFL as well. Like, when I flew to, I flew out to LA uh, the day after an NFL London game, and my entire plane was just full of Seahawks fans because <laughs> American fans just buy the tickets and treat it as a trip anyway, so it's fine. Um, but its I find that quite bizarre. It's something I didn't expect to encounter. Yeah, it sort of like defeats the purpose of spreading the global game, doesn't it? It does. It also made my flight there a lot cheaper because it was full, so I was absolutely fine with it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: was it more fun?
1: I feel like it'd be really rowdy. It was actually quite quiet because everybody had been drinking the night before during the game, uh, so everybody was just That's no fun. And it <laughs> was like were sleeping flight, off dude. their
0: hangover. I got yeah, it. Yeah, and it's a twelve a
1: hour flight. People just don't wanna talk.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well so, listen, thanks for thanks for having me on, but yeah, no, Wizard's the Wizards guy. That's that's how I got my start in this profession and with the Esquimation
1: then we might be doing this again soon because we run a weekly GM show where we go over each team's roster and look forward to next season so when it's the Wizards we'll reach back out if that's okay
0: sure yeah you also have some great Wizards folks on Pulsar that would be great too oh awesome yeah Yeah,
1: we'll, we'll definitely make that happen thank you again Mike yeah thanks for having me later dude